Thank you. Thank you so much for that reading, and good afternoon, everybody. My name is Zoe, if I haven't met you already, and I am an intern at the church. I have a question for you. Do you like rules? Graham does. I don't. Um, I often see rules as a helpful suggestion. Um, But our sermon series today is called Ten Gifts of Grace. And this term, we've been looking at each one of the Ten Commandments, the commandments given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And we've asked ourselves, what does it mean to look at those commandments as a gift given to us, a gift of grace to help us to lead better and easier lives? And I think that the Ten Commandments have a lot to offer to us because God's commands, God's rules, are not like human rules. Often human rules are arbitrary and come from a place of unnecessary bureaucracy. By contrast, God's commands help us to see the world more clearly and help us to see our place and role in it. When I was 10, I was given glasses, and I probably needed to have glasses for a couple of years before that. And when I put on my first pair of glasses, I said to my parents, Mom and Dad, did you know that clouds had edges? And I think that there's something that we can learn in God's commandments that help us see the world more clearly. And so before we start, let us spend a moment in prayer. Father God, I pray that you will be present with us today as we ponder your command not to murder. Would you be present in the words I say? Would you give me and would you give us hearts receptive to your encouragement and challenge? Amen. So I think the two passages that we had today are very interesting. They've got an interesting relationship. Because the first passage we had was from the prophet Moses when he went up to the Mount of Sinai to get God's commands to bring back down to the people of Israel. Our second uh, reading was from the book of Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, when, when Jesus goes up to a mountain to give commandments to the people who were listening to him. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you see allusions back to this Mount Sinai. Because what you see is you see Jesus almost being like a new Moses to come and to interpret the Old Testament laws for this new context. Jesus is using his authority to help us to understand the true meaning of the laws. In this passage, Jesus makes direct reference to the Old Testament command, do not murder, but he intensifies it. He says, You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, anyone who is angry against a brother or a sister is subject to judgment. He says, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, will be answerable to the court. And that sort of means anyone who speaks with contempt to someone else. He says to anyone who says fool will be in the danger of hellfire. And so what Jesus does here is so interesting. 
We all intuitively know that it's wrong to murder. There's something viscerally wrong about one human taking another human's life. We can feel it hurting our hearts. We know that's a wrong thing. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying that same intuitive knowledge we have that murder is wrong, that, that feeling that we feel is a feeling that we should also feel when we have anger in our heart towards another person, when we speak contemptuously to another person, when we're not valuing them. What an intensification of that Old Testament command. And how can we say today that that command of Jesus is a gift of grace? In my preparation for this sermon, I was grappling with that question, but I feel nonetheless that we can find grace and encouragement and inspiration uh, from this. So I hope I will unfold that well to you. Just before this section, in which Jesus says uh, you ought not to be angry to anyone else, he says to the people listening to him that you are the light of, and the salt of the world. And he says that to us today as well. We as a church gathered here in St. John's Hoxton, we as a church in this country and in this world are called by Jesus to be the salt and the light of the world. What does it mean to be the salt and the light of the world? Well, we know that a little bit of salt makes the whole dish better. We know a little bit of light illuminates a room. And in the same way, we as individuals and we as the church are called to be the salt and the light. We are called to be people that make things better and bring God's kingdom on earth. And I think the reason why Jesus preceded his series of commands in the Sermon on the Mount with this reminder that we are called to be the salt and the light of the world was because Jesus wanted to remind us why he was giving us these commands. And he's not given us these commands just so that we can be good people. But it's because in following the rules that Jesus has given us, it's it forms us, it makes us into people who can be the salt and the light of the world. And we see in the passage that was read that this doesn't happen all in one go. You can, in one moment, this is something that happens over and over again, and the passage describes to us different ways that we can engage with our feeling of anger. It says, imagine that you walk down to the temple to give an offering to God, and you arrived with your offering, and then you remember, I have anger in my heart towards my sister. The passage says that you ought to leave your offering there and not give it to God. But first, go to your sister, make amends, and then come back. Jesus is stressing in this parable the exact problem of having anger in our hearts. In fact, the theologian N.T. Wright says that Jesus is using an exaggerated story to, for, to help us understand the problem of anger. Because most of the people listening to Jesus' sermon would have been in Galilee and the temple would have been in Jerusalem. So imagine, imagine that you took a three-day walk to Jerusalem. You were 
almost ready to give your offering, and it's only then that you remember this, this unresolved grievance. Jesus is saying that you should do the three days walk back, make amends and come back. That is how important it is to have not having anger in your heart when you worship. He goes on to say um, that it's not just about your relationship with your friends, that you ought to have uh, good relationships with your friends, but you also, he points to, he says, imagine you're going to a law court with your enemy, and your, law, your, your enemy is here to sue you for all of the money that you have. You're angry with that person. But he says, don't let your anger continue. Make amends with them before you go to the law court. Come to terms with your enemies and your friends. This passage says, don't have anger because it's just not worth it. And that links to the commandment from the Old Testament not to murder. Because when, I think, one could say that when one comes to murder another person, it comes from a place of not seeing the value in that person, but being angry against them. Being, not seeing their life as something worthy. The same thing is true of when we have anger in our hearts towards someone. When we have anger in our hearts towards someone, we often don't see them three-dimensionally, their, their, their own pains, their own sorrows. But also there's another reason why we ought not to have anger in our hearts towards people. And that is because the anger doesn't only hurt the person who it's directed towards, but it, it remains inside of you and begins to eat you from the inside out. I was reminded, I once heard the story of Koi Ten Boom. Koi Ten Boom was the child of some other Ten Booms who were, <laughs> who were hiding uh, Jews for, in, during Nazi Germany, and they had been caught in... In their, for breaking the law and harboring Jewish people and were sent to concentration camps. Cory Ten Boom was the only member of her family who survived. And she left and went and had a preaching ministry speaking of God's grace and God's reconciliation. She remembers one time when she was in a church in Munich and she was preaching on, her, on the forgiveness of sins and she said, when we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean and they are gone forever. She said amen and got off the stage. And then she felt her heart accelerating. And she saw a man walking towards her with a brown hat and an overcoat. But then suddenly she saw him wearing different clothes in a blue uniform with a visored cap and a skull and crossbones. And he was one of the guards that had kept Koi Ten Boom, that had watched Koi Ten Boom and had, had persecuted her family as they were in this concentration camp. She remembered what it felt like when all of their clothes were in the far corner and she and her sister had to walk past him naked. She felt angry just looking at him. And he was in front of her and he put out his hand and said, Miss Ten Boom, thank you so much for what you said. It's so good to know that the God will forgive us and our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And he said, will you, Miss Ten Boom, forgive me? And his hand was outstretched and her hands were both in her pockets. And she was fiddling with her pockets, not wanting to take her hands out of her pocket and take his hand because she 
was too angry at what this man had done. And she thought, Jesus, I can't do it, Jesus. She felt Jesus say, forgiveness isn't an emotion, it's an act. And she forced herself to take her hand out of her pocket and take his. And she describes the moment so beautifully when their hands touched to shake it. She felt herself full of the love of God. And she felt a peace that she didn't realize that she was missing come into her heart. And she was able to say authentically, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And she was reminded of the Lord's prayer when she had prayed, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against us. And in that moment, she knew the love of God and felt like and said, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to realize it is ourself. And I think that is some of what we can find in those passages that were read to us today. When we, the passages are saying, don't let this anger stew in our hearts against people. Let us not get to the place that we have murderous thoughts against our friends or against our enemies. It's not the world we want to live in, and it's not the internal world we want to have in our hearts. I find these words enormously challenging, though. It's so hard to, so hard to not have anger against people when they wrong you. But one thing I found so helpful is not to think of the law as this thing up there that I will work hard enough and one day get. All of the laws that have been given to us have been summarized in a person in the person of Jesus, who was nailed to a cross with people who had mistreated him, who'd spoke meanly to him. But in that moment, Jesus wasn't angry, but instead prayed to God and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. So I find myself, when I am reading the words of the Sermon on the Mount, when I feel convicted and feel, this is too hard for me, I'm reminded of the person Jesus. And I'm reminded I'm not meant to become this person of kindness and of warmth alone. But it's in coming close to Jesus, in conforming to Jesus, in trying to become more like him, in coming to church and singing songs of praise, in my quiet Bible reading and prayer in my room, as I talk to my friends about my relationship with Jesus and pray together, in those moments that I become more like Jesus, I become more able to fill these impossible commands. And that's why I feel that these passages read today are indeed a gift of grace. Because they say to us, they say to me, that we cannot become the person that we're meant to be, the person that will bless the world, we as a church cannot become the church that blesses the world without coming to Jesus, who is the only one that has truly encapsulated the commands that are given to us, who's, only, who's shown for us the perfect way. And just to end, I had... As I was preparing this, I was reminded of a play I once read by the Norwegian playwright Henry Ibsen. And he talks about this play, he writes this play called Brand, about this priest who has this, this desire to conquer his will to live for God. 
And he walks through and he has this maxim, this thing he says to himself. He says, I am an uncompromising man and everything is all or naught. I will give it my all, I won't give it anything at all. And in this play, he ends up going to a, a small village where it's so cold, his son ends up dying. And then he's only got his clothes, the son's clothes to remember him. But he feels like these clothes have become an idol, so he goes and gives away the clothes. And his wife is so sad at the death of his son that she too dies of grief. And he's alone. He goes up to the mountains and he cries out to God. And he says, Jesus, I have called on your name, but never to your side was taken. Like some half-remembered sentence on my tongue, your presence came and passed and left me forsaken. Like the woman who touched the edge of Jesus' cloak and was healed, Bran begs God for an experience of his love. And in that moment, he realized that he had been living a life where he said, I will be perfect and then I will experience the love of God. But he realized that God was love and he had left the God of love behind in his attempt to conquer his will and live for him. I feel like the passages read to us today are a gift of grace because they help us, they guard us from our attempts to conquer our will alone. And we learn that we can never become the, the salt and the light of the world in our own personal lives or as a church without the help of of Jesus, the man who, the only person to have ever truly been all-forgiving, the man who, the God who became man for us, who died for us. And I feel like that is the message I would like to leave you with today, that these promises, that these commands which seem so impossible, are, grace, are gifts of grace to us because they remind us that we need the help of the Lord. Amen.